electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, thanks a lot, Carl, and happy holidays to the whole Tech Check family. I am Frank Holland, in for the Judge Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the march to new highs. Stocks are on pace for their third straight day of gains. We're going to debate your next money moves with who else? The Investment Committee. And joining me for the hour are Brenda Vangelo, Jim Liebenthal, the farmer, downtown Josh Brown, and John Najarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. But first, let's get a check on stocks. The S&P 500, it is inching closer to a new record high for intraday, at least. The Dow Jones Industrial Average touched the 36,000 level in early trading. And the Nasdaq erases all of its losses for December. That puts the major three indices in positive territory for the month. In fact, the Nasdaq just about 3% from its all-time high. So we begin with that setup and also those, those whispers, the talk about a Santa Claus rally coming a little bit earlier. Our Bob Pisani, he has a great article on .com today saying, in the last 45 years, 34 of those years, the Santa Claus rallies produced a positive return with an average return of 1.4%. Technically starts on Monday, but I'm beginning with you, Brenda. Are we seeing the makings, the beginnings of a Santa Claus rally this week? Well, we could be, um, but obviously there, you know, are a lot of moving parts right now, including the Omicron variant and how that's going to impact holiday gatherings uh, this year. But I think honestly, between now and year end, you know, we've gotten a lot of the economic data out of the way, so there's not a lot of new news between now and then. Um, so if we set the stage with some positive returns here over the last couple of days, that could certainly continue uh, through the end of the year. But I think the real catalyst in the new year is going to be earnings for the fourth quarter. Um, so I think that could uh, serve to um, really support the market in another leg higher from that level. Josh, over to you. We are marching towards new highs on the indices. Do you see this continuing all the way through the new year, maybe even into the first two days of the next year? You know, one of the things that I think has been an advantage in, in markets for people who work in wealth management is an understanding of how big the money is that needs to get invested. When you do financial planning for clients and you put together portfolios based on hitting those objectives, every advisor in America, and Brenda could certainly speak to this, doing any kind of financial planning understands this idea that, oh my God, we're gonna need more stocks. Um, not only because expected returns could be lower given current valuations, but because life, lifespans are getting longer and the yields on the fixed income side are non-existent. Almost all of the return has to come from the equity portion of the portfolio. And that's why the money coming in not only has been so big, but continues to. I want to share something with you that I don't even think most people on Wall Street realize right now. In 2020, we broke a record in new inflows to ETFs, which is mostly driven by financial advisors, right? Um, the number was $500 billion. I don't think anybody realizes this year we broke that record, but not by 10 or 20 percent. This year, when the books close in a couple of days, 
it will be shown that something like $900 billion went into ETFs. This is an outrageous amount of money, even relative to the last record-breaking year last year, almost doubled. We're talking about a trillion bucks coming in. And that money has to continue to come in. So when you think about like, oh, there's volatility, there's Omicron, yes, but what are people doing? They're buying the dip as fast as they humanly can. Bank of America, Merrill Lynch's equity and quant strategy group, led by Savita Supermanian, put out a note yesterday, excluding buybacks, the last four weeks showed the biggest inflows in three months. And that's during the period of time with really the worst news flow about the virus since the summer. They say every single client segment within Bank of America were net buyers of stocks last week. Private clients, hedge funds, institutions. And then the buybacks came back. So you're saying bullishness what? across the board. That's what you're that's what you're seeing and, and hearing. Let me let me fin- let me finish the thought. Let me fi- I know it's a long, it's a, it's a lot of talking, but this a is bit. really important. Every time we get hit with these spells of volatility and they make perfect sense because they're accompanied by quote unquote scary news. People say, yeah, but you know what? I still need more stocks to make my plan work. And that's why you saw what you saw. And now you have corporate buybacks accelerating. Last week, there was a pickup in seven of the 11 sectors. And corporate buybacks are still trailing below 2019 levels, which means, yes, even more fuel could be inbound to the market. And that's what I think people need to remember. All right. So you see a lot of bullishness, a lot more buying. Farmer Jim, over to you. Do you see investors selling right now as we look at year end or you see the buying continuing? Well, the easy answer is nobody's selling. I mean, who who would want to sell right now? The only people who would want to sell are tax lost harvesters. Frankly, that's been done over the past several weeks. You're starting to see those candidates that got you know, bear bear mauled into the ground for tax loss harvesting are starting to recover nicely. So I think that effect is over. Nobody wants to take gains right now. That's for darn sure. You got one week to go to cross into the next year. And frankly, if you're an institutional money manager, the last thing you want to do is start selling here and get behind the index if it rallies, as I suspect it will, uh, over the next week for those forces that I just expected. Um, you know, I do I do disagree with Josh just on the margins a little bit here. I think our perspective is different. His is a financial planner. Mine is an equity portfolio manager. And I look for bargains. I do. And I think in the coming quarter that the playbook is going to look a lot like 2017 rolling into 2018. There has been basically an orgy of buying on that, Josh and I agree. And it will probably continue in early January as bonuses hit. But then something inane will happen in 2018. It was that VIX note. Some inane trigger will happen and the buyer just won't be there. The Fed's backing off the gas pedal a little bit, and there will be some volatility. Now, in order to take advantage of that as an equity portfolio manager, I have to raise some cash along the way. So I'm not selling now, but in early January, I will probably trim some positions, you know, raise somewhere close to 10% of cash. I just want to have the dry powder there. Um, You know, and again, different perspective from me and Josh, but that's what I'm looking to do as an equity portfolio manager. Yeah. Speaking of a different perspective, we're looking at the VIX, uh, John, move to the downside since Monday. What are you reading from that? What do you think that signals for the rest of this year? Uh, Well, Frank, uh, we've seen a move of almost 50 percent from the Monday high, which was uh, you and I talked about it on Worldwide Exchange, I think it was. 2740 or something like that right around on Monday and it's traded all the way back down now through 18 
So I, I think that we're looking at uh, a pretty significant indicator that uh, there was, if not panic, uh, at least some uh, lack, uh, a buyer's strike, if you will, Frank, on Monday, Friday and Monday, for that matter. Um, and just as Josh and uh, Brenda and Jim have said, then the buyers came back uh, frenzied buying to take us all the way back to a positive week, especially after that very negative Monday. So, yeah, the VIX is uh, basically telling us that we're not really uh, scared, that the markets uh, certainly anticipated some sort of bounce later in the week, and they got it. Uh, we lost that uh, 2740 VIX like that. And now as we come back down into the somewhat more reasonable, still over a 1% move predicted by the VIX where it is now, the uh, futures volatility is also ebbing right now, Frank. John, really quick, here's what's really been working this month. One of the things, consumer staples, uh, RBC out with a note saying that consumer staples face the most inflation and supply chain headwinds, obviously core PCE coming out today at 4.7%. Same time, Goldman saying that investors, they believe they're going to start appreciating the more reliable revenue streams from consumer staples. Do you see those continuing to show leadership throughout the end of the year, maybe even into the beginning of 22? Uh, I would. I, I would think that, uh, you know, the consumer has shown that uh, despite the fact that they don't like the higher prices, they're paying them um, because they think competition for those products, goods and services um, is pretty intense. So, yes, uh, I, I like uh, in particular, Frank, energy, though, um, more than consumer staples. But could consumer staples carry us uh, for the next several weeks? I believe it could. All right. Let's bring in our market guest, Mark Newton. He's the global head of technical strategy at Fundstrack Global Advisors. Mark, thank you for being here. Happy holidays. Thank you, Frank. Happy holidays to you. Nice to be back. So let's get technical. What are the technical indicators showing you as we enter this last week of trading? Well, the last couple of days have actually been pretty encouraging. We've seen S&P rise back to near former highs. I think we have some work to do with regards to QQQ and really the broader indices. When you look at the Russell 3000 or the value line, uh, those have not shown the same degree of rally off the lows, and that's something that I still think we need to see before we can have real conviction that we're going to have a huge surge uh, into year end. And so I'm, I'm, I'm certainly watching. I think there's reasons to be obviously optimistic. Everybody's had a, a difficult couple of years, and we've seen this massive sector rotation and social unrest. And now I think, you know, this is a time when everybody expects the market should be going up, and it has been the last couple of days. And so let's see if we can really follow through here. But you know, I do have issues with the degree that yields are not really following through. And we have seen a lot of defensive sector rotation in the last month. I mean, half, the only sectors that have really worked on a one-month basis have been the utilities, REITs, staples, healthcare, and yes, technology to its credit uh, has also shown pretty good strength, but to a lesser extent. All right, Josh, I believe you have a question. Hey, Mark, do you, do, do you think that uh, yields are as meaningful of a confirmation for an equity rally as maybe they had been in, in prior generations, just given the absolute ocean of cash that exists out there uh, and how starved everyone is for yields? Should we really be thinking about what a 10 year is, is, is yielding, for example, as some sort of forward looking consensus of the crowd about GDP growth? Or is it really just a liquidity story and not that important anymore? Yeah, great question, Josh. Yeah, I don't necessarily look at the absolute level of yields as being a concern. It's more when you see evidence of yields that are starting to roll over. And we saw that back in the middle part of November after the Powell 
pivot and we saw yields really fall apart and equities responded and also pulled back pretty sharply. So, you know, I would just like to see some evidence of 30-year yields and also 10-year really starting to show more strength. That would certainly help the financials. Uh, right now, if anything, we've seen the opposite. We've seen stocks like J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs are down, you know, 5 to 6% over the last month. And a lot of that has been because of yield, yield curve flattening out and also yields pulling back. And so that's certainly an issue that at least affects sectors like financials that, that I'm watching. John, over to you. Well, um, I, I guess I'd be somewhat curious. I know your group over with Tom Lee and so forth at Fundstrat, you guys have tracked pretty closely travel in particular, but you take inputs from all kinds of things. Obviously, you're here because of the technical expertise, but are you seeing uh, travel, uh, uh, the, the demand for travel picking up? And if so, then that's going to mean that a lot of the uh, travel-related stocks, not just the booking stocks like Booking.com and uh, Priceline-type businesses, but a lot of the uh, airlines, do you see those as being a sector that investors should be watching in early 2022? Yeah, John, I think, look, getting towards the end of the year, it's always important to look for signs of mean reversion. And we've started to see that a little bit and in sectors like biotechnology, for example, that have been hard hit. Uh, other areas that were very strong, like automobiles, have now recently started to lag. So we're always at a time of the year when it's important to do some bottom fishing. I think that's important. But travel in particular, I still think it's a little dicey, at least technically speaking, on how I see it. Uh, it's been tough to really buy dips and things like airlines. And, and we have seen a little bit of evidence of stabilization, but you really have to be selective in that regard. So, Mark, you and I, we actually spoke on uh, December 1st about some of the the trends that you were seeing this month. And back then you said investors are so short term focused. If you want to keep up with the averages, you have to be heavily concentrated in FANG. Do you still share that opinion? Uh, 100 percent. And only because, look, FANG dominates these indices. Uh, Technology is 27 percent of the S&P. And when we look at things like S&P moving to new all time highs, a lot of that has been, you know, stocks like Apple and, and Alphabet, uh, you know, Microsoft. I think when you strip those out, you see that the market uh, is not nearly as robust. But this doesn't necessarily mean that the market's in a bubble and has to pull back substantially. Uh, you look back at the 1930s, stocks like AT&T and, and General Motors and General Electric, the big generals, were at the top percentages of these, these market indices and stayed that way for nearly six decades. So this is really not a new normal. If anything, it's an old normal. And we've seen this story before. Uh, but yes, as of the last you know, month, we've seen the top five now comprise about 25 percent uh, you know, of, of the major indices. And that's the highest levels we've seen in 50 years. So it's, in my opinion, it's just important to use equally weighted type ETFs uh, as, as a way to look at the market and even equally weighted indices. And the S&P equally weighted, uh, not nearly as strong as, as what we're seeing uh, with the S&P today. So that's that's interesting to me. Jim, over to you. Yeah. Hey, Mark, if you'll dance with me in a construct of my own making, I'm going to divide the stock market into three sections. And if you'll do this with me, I'd love to hear you rank them from a technician's point of view of what you like, what you don't like. First is cyclicals. Next is growth at a reasonable price, which is basically FANG. Call it that. And then the third is the hyper growth. OK, these are these are the, uh, you know, Kathy Wood stocks. And there's no pejorative in what I'm saying. I just want to hear straight from your technical brain. If you'll dance with me on that division into three parts. How do you like it? The growth at a reasonable price would be number one. And I still like the FANG sector. I think they're going to continue to lead. Uh, cyclicals, 
you know, it's sort of a mixed picture. I think that they're part of these groups. I tend to join Tom Lee and Embracing Energy. I really like that. Uh, other areas like discretionary and industrials, you know, we attempted to break out in November and that failed and they pulled back a little bit. And so it's going to be important to see these groups really play catch up and start to join uh, the other stocks. I mean, with regards to hyper growth, I would have to rank those last. Unfortunately, you know, I, I can't really embrace a lot of the Kathy Wood names on a short-term technical basis. Uh, I certainly agree with the long-term thesis. I think they'll they'll likely come back. It's just I haven't seen enough to really want to dip my toes in and think that, you know, momentum is really starting to shift in a way that you'd really want to be part of those. All right, Mark, thanks a lot thanks, for that Mark. insight. We really appreciate it. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Happy, Happy holidays, everybody. Yeah. All right. One area that's just kind of not working right now, that's transports. The sector's down more than 11 percent from its 52-week high. But today, Bernstein raises their price targets on UPS and FedEx. Jim Cramer mentioned this note in his investment club letter this morning. He also said that UPS is one of the club's top picks. Brenda, you own UPS. We do own UPS, you know, and we think that Carol Tomei, the newer CEO there, has just made some huge fundamental changes at the company that I think are really important and really should afford the company a higher multiple over time as they really focus on improving the business that they have rather than growing the business per se. So the company is about 45% through the um, uh, contract renewals that they have, which should be ongoing for the next couple of years, but they're likely to get a lot better <coughs> Pricing from those contracts and also continue to focus on improving profitability. So I think those will all be really important catalysts to the stock. Um, so I, I agree with Kramer that this is a well-positioned company here. Jim, over to you. Um, Bernstein has a 28 percent upside for UPS, a 41 percent upside for FedEx. Are you kind of going along with their thesis that there's a lot more room to grow for these e-commerce players even after the holiday season? Well, yes. The short answer is yes, because there's also a lot of like garbage noise that's been playing around in these stocks, things like union contracts uh, that have come up. And, and I think you got to look past that and just say to yourself, do you believe that we're in an economic expansion? I do. I think we're early in it, by the way. I think Omicron is a big head fake and that we'll get through that pretty quickly. And what you're going to see is Ports start to unclog more. And it's not just UPS and FedEx. The transports is a very broad sector. I own Union Pacific. I love that as a way as goods start to flow through the economy more. I love that as a play. I also like United Parcel and FedEx, but I'm not in them because I'm in other transports like the airlines, like Alaska Airlines, like Boeing. And all of these names that I'm talking about have had to varying degrees a rough past few months. And again, as I think we work our way through Omicron, which is my base case scenario, I think you're going to see these things grow nicely with the economy. So those returns that, that Bernstein is talking about, I'm with them. I see bigger returns in Boeing, Alaska Airlines and United, uh, excuse me, Union Pacific. But I like UPS and FedEx. Yeah, John, one thing that's really helping transports is yesterday the president's task force said that containers are moving 125 percent faster through the port of L.A., even faster through the port of Long Beach. Are you also in on this story that transports have more room to run, especially a UPS and a FedEx? Um, I am, Frank, and uh, to a large extent because of the demand that Jim mentions and also because um, even though the cost of fuel, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, fuel oil for some of those ships and diesel or whether it's diesel for uh, the trucks and or uh, Jet A for the flights that they have to move uh, a lot of these goods with. Um, we've seen a 46 percent jump in WTI this year. 
Um, we've had a pretty big comeback just since the November 30th low, which was, of course, right at, as the Omicron was being um, cited as the next variant. And there was a pullback in crude oil, pretty dramatic pullback. We've now come back 13 percent from there. So I say that with the big jump in those prices to say that uh, that's a negative, but I believe they'll be able to pass that on, Frank. Uh, that's what we've seen so far is these businesses have been able to pass that on to the extent that Jim's Alaska Air or any of the container ships and or um, uh, regular uh, transports like UPS and FedEx, to the extent they can pass that higher fuel cost on, um, I think it's uh, game on for these stocks. All right. Jim was just asking about cyclicals. Let's talk about industrials right here. Kramer's Investing Club, they bought more shares of Honeywell yesterday. That stock's down nearly 3% year to date. Brenda, you also own it. Sometimes people are kind of confused what the company does. It's a bit of a conglomerate. Where do you see the strength for this company? Yeah, so I think this is an exceptional management team with a company with a strong balance sheet. They have a great historical track record of making accretive acquisitions. But I think the conglomerate business model has come into question a little bit this year, especially as GE has announced a decision to break up that company. Um, and that's been combined with, with, honestly, with a disappointing period of time for Honeywell, which is a, a little bit rare in the company's history. But I agree with Kramer that there's an upcoming um, meeting where I think management will have the opportunity to really talk about growth in the future. They've gotten a little bit of a bad rap for talking about all the great things they've done in the past when nothing in the here and now seems to be going very well for them. But I think this will be an opportunity for them to talk about uh, continued growth in the future and profit, uh, profit margin improvement and revenue growth. John, over to you. Kramer says this stock's gone from expensive to cheap. You share the same opinion? Well, you know, Frank, uh, the avionics part of the business um, was one of the reasons that they were, of course, denied in the uh, merger attempt by GE, you know, what, over a decade ago now, um, because the avionics are so um, integral to what uh, Honeywell does. Um, I think overall that uh, Honeywell is a buy at this level. I, when, when you told me it was down 3%, I had to check your numbers. And yeah, I was kind of surprised that it had been that flat or that uh, negative for the year, um, I think this one does represent a value right here, Frank. John, come on, you know our producers. we got Patty, Vin, and Kate back there. You know those numbers are right. All right, <laughs> one more area that's really taken <laughs> off this week. That's the travel sector. Let's get over to Seema Modi for a look at the week's big moves. Hey there, Seema. And Frank, a trifecta of news around COVID helping lift travel stocks this week. There's the new data showing Omicron is less severe, coinciding with the FDA approving Pfizer and Merck's COVID pills, which hospitality executives telling me say that will lift travelers' confidence. Also, efforts to expand testing, which could also aid easing concerns around COVID. Hotel operators Marriott, Hilton, real estate investment trust Pebblebrook all up around 8 to 11 percent this week. The online travel platforms Expedia, you'll see, is outperforming its peers, Airbnb and Booking Holdings, up about 15%. But the most notable rebound really in the cruise lines. Carnival is now on track for its best week since February, up about 16% after the cruise line unveiled a rather bullish outlook on future demand for cruises. We're talking second half of 2022. But just to put these moves into perspective, all three cruise lines still trading well off their 52-week highs by around 20% or so. Frank? 
Seema, thanks a lot. And speaking of that, look, Hilton today trading at an all-time high, back to its IPO back in 2013. Uh, travel having, obviously, a very strong showing. Josh, you also own Live Nation, and you actually like those online travel plays. I do. I just think you have to bear a lot of headline risk with them. Those charts are crazy. Like, look at, look at the price action in Expedia over the last two weeks. It's a it's an emotional roller coaster, and it's not for everyone. Um, it does look like it's resolving to the upside. I was looking at Hilton and, and Marriott, and my big thing always on the show, Frank, is I don't, I don't really pay attention to what people are saying. I watch what people are doing with their money. Those stocks were ripping during the worst of the, the Omicron headlines, and I think the point that, that you could take from that is everybody knows that people will say all the right things about the risk and blah, blah, blah. But they are going ahead with their travel plans. In the case of Live Nation, I think they already sold something like 22 million concert tickets for next year. I think 22, 23 and 24 could be back to back to back. Three of the biggest years for live events of all time globally. And Live Nation is increasingly a global business. They just uh, finalized bringing in the largest promoter in Mexico and Latin America as as part of the company that closed this week like this. Look at this stock. Does this stock tell you that anyone's really going to do anything differently uh, over Omicron? Definitely not. So there will be canceled events here and there. There will be new variants. Everybody gets it. That's already in the stock. People want to be invested in, in, in live experiences. And this is like as pure of a pure play as you get. Brenda, over to you. Yeah, so we own Booking Holdings, um, and this one we like because of the asset light nature of the company. We'd rather own it than owning the cruise lines, for example. But really think, uh, to Josh's point, you know, when we look out, especially in 2022 and beyond, you know, it's been two years. We really haven't done a lot of significant travel, especially um, international travel. And I think there is a lot of pent up demand for that. Booking is well positioned uh, to benefit uh, from travel globally um, and also um, things like open table, uh, people going out to eat more often. So I, I really think it's a great way to play that recovery that we really have seen start in, in a smaller way, but I think it could be much more significant um, as the year goes on next year and things reopen more meaningfully. You know, Jim, we were talking about the Dow Transports being down 11 percent from their highs. But one of the some of the stocks that have been working have really been those airlines. They've been rallying recently. I know you own Alaska Airlines. Are you a believer that travel is going to continue to strengthen as we enter 22? It, it is strengthening right now. And, you know, obviously we compare these numbers to 2019 because 2020 is a throwaway year. But, you know, T TSA uh, throughput numbers are down about 20 percent uh, from 2019. That's very good. And they're growing. They're getting higher. And if you've traveled, obviously you can look at me. I've traveled in the past week. Um, I've done a lot of travel recently. Airports are packed. OK, airplanes are packed hotel room rates are through the roof and they're through the roof because they can sell those rooms at that price. Take a look and John will back me up on this. Dr. J will back. He knows everything about Las Vegas. Uh, Las Vegas room rates are phenomenal. I mean, triple digit price increases over 2019. People are coming out. And Josh made this point, too. Yeah, I agree with you, Josh, on Live Nation. It's going to be a gargantuan next few years as we burn through this Omicron baloney um, listen, let's cut to the chase. We've got pills that treat this thing. We've got vaccines. All right. This thing doesn't have to be what it has been the last two years. And it's not going to be. People are going to come out. They're going to travel. They're going to have fun. They're going to have fun with a vengeance. And these airlines and these hotels, that's the place to be.
All right, to Farmer Jim's point, Mark's antiviral, I can't get it out, antiviral pill also approved today. All right, still ahead on halftime. A big pop for shares of one electric vehicle maker, plus John's latest trades and unusual activity, and ask halftime. Send your questions for the committee. We are back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier. Because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion. Helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. Amazon workers will have an easier time forming unions. It's part of a settlement that Amazon has agreed to with the National Labor Relations Board. The agreement also makes it easier for regulators to sue Amazon for alleged unfair labor practices. In Minneapolis, jurors have begun day four of deliberations over manslaughter charges against former police officer Kim Potter. Potter fatally shot Dante Wright during a traffic stop. She says that she meant to fire her taser instead of her handgun. The jury has been sequestered, meaning they cannot return home until they reach a verdict. Delaware Senator Chris Coons, the latest politician to report testing positive for COVID. He says that he has only minor symptoms and is isolating. And officials are investigating a fire that injured at least four people at an ExxonMobil refinery in Texas. A local sheriff there says that an explosion was likely the cause of the fire. Frank, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, thanks a lot. All right, turning to the EV space, Nikola up 16% on news. It delivered its Nikola Trey Electric tractor trailer truck to a company that operates out of the port of L.A. That delivery, it actually happened last week. But the stock moving today after a tweet from Nikola. That company also has signed a letter of intent to purchase 100 total. Other EV stocks moving on the news, Lordstown and Arrival, both outperforming the market, both of them up over 4%. Rivian fractionally higher, still down after a somewhat disappointing earnings on Monday. Wedbush says spending on commercial EVs should top $1.2 trillion between now and 2030, with very intense competition on the vehicles themselves, batteries, and charging infrastructure. John, you own some calls in Fisker, Fisker and also Tesla. You also bought some Nikola calls today. Yeah, um, we were trading them last week, Frank, because Friday last week stock was $9.75. They were buying the this week, today, expiry uh, 11 calls. 
Those calls, they were paying just a dime for them last week, Frank. They exploded today, and then they began rolling up to the uh, uh, January 13 calls. So uh, I liked that action, Frank. Uh, they're not quite as good as Elon Musk in terms of uh, the, the tweets, but to get a 20% pop out of the stock, uh, granted at a much lower base, you know, to get it moving from $9.80 or $10 up to and through $11 with that single tweet. That was pretty amazing. Uh, But obviously the fact that they've finally started deliveries and that they've proved that they can do that and get another order is a very positive thing for this company. Jim, over to you. I know you own GM. You're also on the list for one of those new Cadillac lyrics. I'm very jealous of you. What do you make (laughs) of this news for Nikola today? Do you think this is a a big sign for them, or is it just another EV, another commercial EV going out in the market where we're still in the very early stages of this game? Frank, I don't know. Did you read that that headline that was up just before they came to this Brady Bunch screen? Our first customer delivery. Yes. Like, okay, for General Motors and Ford, that happened 120 years ago, right? Um, There's a hell of a head start here, guys. And listen, I'm not taking any shots at Dr. J. His time frame is a lot shorter than mine. Um, I like to make long-term investments. I can't look at Nikolai or or Rivian or any of these names and say that in the long run, they're going to outcompete the scale, uh, the marketing, the cost advantages of General Motors, of Ford, of Tesla at this point, of Volkswagen. I mean, I, I love good David versus Goliath story, but nine times out of 10, David gets trampled by Goliath. And I think that's what's going to happen here. Um, And I will definitely let everybody know when I get that uh, Cadillac lyric. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, You'll see me tweeting it out. All right, Josh, uh, you also own GM. You also own ChargePoint. You feel a lot of confidence in this space when it comes to commercial EVs or is it just a general play for you? No, I I think like half of the cars on the uh, being sold by 2025 will be electric. There's no going back. And this was a a watershed year. Uh, I know a lot of people who are not, you know, on the cutting edge of technology who now have battery charging equipment in their garages uh, in my suburban town. These are I don't and I don't live in San Francisco. So this is where it's all going. Charge. I'm not. I'm not. (laughs) Who is that, Jim? Yeah. No, I love you, buddy, even though you're, you're dressed like there's a chairlift coming right behind you. Uh, listen, ChargePoint is a weird situation. There's no other comp to it in the market because it's focused on fleet charging equipment. So not like putting, putting something in your garage or a gas station somewhere, but like corporations that use a lot of uh, fleet vehicles, they need their own charging equipment. And ChargePoint is the largest company providing that. So I don't have a ton of conviction in the name, but I own a little bit. We'll see how things go this year. It's a relatively new company. Um, but, the, but the idea, though, just generally speaking, um, that Nikola is going to sell a ton of these trucks, I think, is not true. I don't know a lot of um, large buyers who invest the type of money it takes to buy these things that are going to even consider them in a top three of a request for proposal situation. So uh, if you own the stock, you got an 18 percent pop. Congratulations. Um, but this is not the area that I want to be. Well, stay with us here on Halftime. John's latest trades and unusual activities coming up next. And before the break, a quick check on the S&P sectors. You see all but one in the green. Halftime back right after this.
you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, time for unusual activity. John, what are you saying? Well, Frank, uh, I've got three for you today, sort of a Christmas present of sorts, Frank. Um, Bausch Health, uh, BHC is the symbol here. It's a $28 stock. Somebody stepped in and bought 4,000 of the January 29 strike calls. Now, these are for the expiration of January 7th, Frank. So two weeks into the future, we all know we're not trading tomorrow. So two weeks and a day into the future. Again, just $1 out of the money because the stock was 28 when they made that purchase. Second one, Las Vegas Sands. We know that that uh, prohibition or uh, the pause over in Macau is now ended. And that's why many of these stocks are seeing a pop because they have exposure both to Vegas and, in this case, Macau. But Las Vegas Sands at 38.80. They bought 5,000 of the next Friday, December 31st, expiration 40 calls. So they're just over a dollar out of the money. Um, I was already in some of these uh, Macau opening plays, so I extended into Las Vegas Sands as well. Finally, Fubo, F-U-B-O, $16.50. They bought about 7,000, that's 700,000 share equivalent because every option's for 100 shares. They bought those Jan 21, so that's nearly $5 out of the money. Love that kind of optimism. I'm not saying it gets there, but for people that are buying like the 17 calls uh, in hopes of seeing a pop, I think you can start loading those other calls against it as you get a pop out of Fubo. So I'm in that one as well, Frank. All right, the Christmas edition of Unusual Activity. Coming up next, Ask Halftime, yes, and we're back right after this. All right, welcome back. The Investment Committee is answering your questions. Let's kick it off with a video question. My question is to Jim Levindhal about Qualcomm. I'm wondering what does he think about the stock, given that uh, the growth rate has been pretty high, like 60-70% earnings growth, and they are uh, transitioning very well to IoT, and 5G, I would say, is also uh, pretty hot now. So despite all these positivity tailwinds, why the stock is so cheap, and uh, what do you think about it for next year? Farmer Jim, what do you say? 
Yeah, I, I love his question because it kind of has the answer in there when he talks about Internet of Things. The big deal with Qualcomm is the multiple is going to expand over the next year as their diversification away from handsets into Internet of Things and also into automotive continues. So this is a stock that has been cheap at around 15, 16 times earnings. It should be 20 times earnings. It should be above $200 right now. And next summer when it's looking forward into the fiscal uh, 2023 year, uh, it should be at 230. So that's a good 25% rise over the next six months as they diversify. All right, let's go to one more of those video questions. Hey, Josh, it's Scott from New Jersey, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on Uber. I know you've been a long-term shareholder of the stock, and I wanted to start my own position in Uber, but I wasn't sure if now would be a good time to do so with COVID spiking and the fall winter months coming up, which could present an issue uh, for the stock and the company. So I just wanted to get your thoughts. Thank you so much. Yeah, really good question there, downtown. So paradoxically, uh, the spike in cases, if that's what you think is going to happen, which the jury's still out how much longer this will go on for. It's already uh, Omicron cases are already crashing in South Africa. But let's say that's the premise. More than half of Uber e- of Uber's business right now is Uber Eats, which actually works in the favor of that part of the company. So Uber has set itself up in a very interesting way. They kind of win either way. I don't think Wall Street gets that yet which is why the stock is 44 rather than 64. But I actually own it because I do think we are going to get our lives back uh, and that the uh, Uber rides component will become bigger, 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 more important. And wait till autonomous driving comes along. Then you'll see the take rate for the Uber ride segment, even if that's not for three or four years, truly explode higher. So I'm a long-term Uber shareholder, no plans to trade it. Don't know if the timing is perfect here, but I would not be afraid to pull the trigger in the mid-40s. An optimistic Josh Brown. Uh, over to Brenda. John in Kansas writes, I own Visa and PayPal. Should I hold, sell, or add these? So the payment <coughs> processing group has really been very disappointing this year in terms of the overall performance of stocks. Um, it was once such a loved group, but I think as we look to next year and as investors are trimming their winners uh, from this year and looking for a really strong fundamental group that hasn't participated as much in the rally, uh, this could be a group they look to. Uh, in part with Visa, you know, as we look at an increase in cross-border transactions that's likely uh, next year and an increase in travel, that should certainly help the company. Uh, with PayPal, you know, there's been an expectations reset here, but PayPal remains one of the fastest growing, most innovative companies within this group. And next year, there is a catalyst um, early in the year with the launch of Venmo as a payment option on Amazon, which we think uh, should be incredibly good for that part of their business. So I think fundamentals are still strong here. Uh, we would look to uh, potentially add as this group. And especially in the new year, we think investors will take another look at it. All right, we're looking at biotech stocks coming up. Pulling back 12% in the last three months. We're going to debate if now is the time to be adding some of these names to your portfolio. Halftime, back in two minutes. Well, it has been a tough time for the biotech space with the IBB and the XBI ETFs that track the sector largely underperforming the broader healthcare and the S&P 500 this year. Both those ETFs are down double digits from their recent highs. But, Josh, you like to set up into next year, and I say that today as we see stocks, not all technically biotech, but Abbott Labs hitting an all-time high, Anthem hitting an all-time high, a couple other names like Zoitis hitting an all-time high. Do you still feel that confidence going into 2022? 
Well, I think there's two things to like about the setup for large cap biotech. The first is they've done nothing this year, which is really rare. You have to really look, you have to really look hard to find a year with a double digit rally for the overall stock market where the biotech sector wasn't leading. In this case, the sector was actually flat to down. So you, you've got a, a potential catch up trade there. Technically, you also have the IBB ETF uh, finding a bottom right at the May lows. So a double bottom and now a liftoff from that level. So if that should hold and the buyers came in here at the right time, I think that's a fairly bullish setup technically. The last part is I really don't think there's any kind of activity on drug prices next year. I know Biden talked about it. Every president talks about it, Republican and Democrat. They largely don't do anything, and that's never a good reason not to be invested in healthcare. So healthcare overall looks good. I think biotech looks even better. And in this particular ETF, IBB, about half the market cap is in the top 10 stocks, which are 10 of the best stocks in all of healthcare, period. So I, I definitely would be looking at that. I'm not in it yet, but I may pull the trigger soon. Yeah, one of the stocks pushing it uh, higher, actually, or creating some of the gains is Vertex, up 18% month to date. Jim, over to you. Are you sharing that confidence in uh, biotech? Uh, Yes. And I think the biggest factor, which Josh hit on, is price controls. The demise, at least for now, of the Build Back Better bill uh, takes away the threat for now of price controls. Now, there's a body of investors out there who say that pharma and biotech would do a lot better if price controls were known, if we had the bill in place. I don't believe that at all. I think that as the Democrats uh, try to focus on what their initiatives are going to be, that uh, price controls are going to fall by the wayside, as frankly they have for about 25 years. And what you're going to find is there's a huge catch-up trade in biotech and pharma, a lot of which are really attractively priced with good demographic reasons to expect growth ahead. Brenda, you and Merck, big news today for their antiviral pill. Also, Johnson & Johnson and Abbott uh, still feeling that confidence in biotech and pharma? Yes, and I would agree with you know everyone's earlier comments with um, uh, Josh and Jim's comments regarding pricing, especially as we look to the midterm elections next year, and we're likely to see Congress flip. Uh, but I would say you know each of the names we own has its own unique story, and in particular with Merck. Uh, you know, the pill, honestly, is a little bit of a disappointment in terms of where it stands in the competitive landscape right now. But nevertheless, we think there's a big opportunity for the core business to really continue to recover there. Um, But I think overall, if we look at opportunities within the market, there certainly are plenty of them within healthcare, and it certainly should be an area of continued growth. All right. Final trades. Those are coming up on Halftime. Stay with us. All right, welcome back for Final Trades. John, you just bought some calls. Yeah, that's right. Um, I guess Josh was just so convincing (laughs) that I had to buy Uber. Um, Actually, and uh, Josh is always convincing, but I had unusual activity in the name, so I bought some calls during the show. December 31st, 40 strike calls, Frank. Brenda. Boeing. So we're looking for ongoing growth with the backlog and a return to positive free cash flow for the first time in three years to be positive catalyst for the stock in 2022. Jim? Uh, Viacom CBS. This is one of those tax lost harvesting stocks I talked about. It's been bare mauled into the ground. It's ready to come back. Josh? Uh, welcome to the team, John. So uh, <laughs> GM, I'm watching Tesla make this ridiculous two-day move 
And it occurs to me that General Motors probably should catch up here. Stock is too cheap in the 50s. I think it's going higher. All right, that's it. Happy Holidays Investment Committee. The exchange with the domino, Dom Chu, begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.